Well, this morning we have a festive stage up here, and these are remnants of what was a delightful night a week ago last Sunday evening with our annual Christmas pageant. There is a video online circulating on Facebook, on the church's page, if you would like to see a video of what you missed if you weren't able to attend. I think you will be blessed by what was done on that night. So that is the reason for the season up here, and it's a beautiful, beautiful stage indeed. Well, there's much to celebrate this year, this week. We've already sung songs that recognize God's power, God's reign in creation. And by the way, did anyone catch the moon this morning on your way here? What an incredible sight that must have been. The, the woman at McDonald's wasn't as impressed as I was when I pointed it out to her. But that was magnificent. I don't think I've ever seen the moon in that setting before, that close, early in the day. And certainly when we were singing songs this morning about, uh, from Psalm 148, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah, about the sun and the moon, uh, those connected in my mind uh, for the power of God. It reminds me of Psalm 24 when the psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we have just confessed together that this is our Father's world, and that is great news, because sometimes it doesn't look that way. There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of chaos in this world, and sometimes we wonder, is God really in charge? Which is why it's important to sing that song and to confess together that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. God is the one who is in control. And looking forward, God is the one who's going to wrap all this up one day. But in the meantime, we have work to do. We have a mission. Emmanuel has come, and we have talked about that over the last couple of weeks. God with us has arrived And we are reminded in the Gospel of Matthew that God has not abandoned the work of His creation. He's done just the opposite. He has entered into the fray. He has entered into the mess of creation. God with us has come. God with us is here right now. And it is through Emmanuel in which we are rescued. And that's really what the Christmas season is all about. This grand rescue plan of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are rescued from what Paul calls this present evil age. But to what end? What is this rescue for? Is this rescue for us only, or is it something bigger than that? Well, of course, it is for the sake of the world in which we are rescued. And that's really what we focused on over the last Well, the last year, our theme of mission, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, last week, we looked at the story of the Magi in terms of mission, the wise men and their travels and that journey from uh, being a seeker to being a worshiper. And we pray continually that God would connect us to seekers of the truth, that God would connect us to the Magi's among us. Well, this morning I want to focus on one specific facet of our mission, the mission that God has given us, and we're going to to work through a passage in Paul's letter to the Romans, 
Romans chapter 12. So if you want to turn over there, we're going to read that in a little while. But to help us get our minds around this specific facet of the mission, we're going to think through and and use an image from what I think is the greatest Christmas story, greatest Christmas movie ever. So think about this. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Well, we see this on social media all over the place, questions like that. What's your favorite Christmas movie? What's your favorite Christmas quote? We have the little videos, the little memes, quotes, whatever you call those things. What's your favorite? Well, the one I have in mind is not Elf, although that's a great one. It's not Miracle on 34th Street, because I've never seen it. It's not It's a Wonderful Life, or Christmas Story, or Christmas Vacation, or Home Alone, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. No, the one I have in mind is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, last month, I took my kids to go see the new Grinch movie, and we all agreed that was a very good movie. But it was nothing like that 1966 classic cartoon that comes on every December with the songs, with the festivities. We know the story. The Grinch, this monster, this green monster, he hates everything, he hates everyone. And he hates the people of Whoville. And why he hates the people of Whoville, nobody knows. But we do know this about the Grinch. His heart's a little small. They tell us. His heart is how many sizes too small? Two sizes too small. And so he really detests the people of Whoville, and he carries this anger in his heart. He's really a distortion of humanity. I think he's a picture of the fall of man when it really comes down to it. But Christmas time is a really tough time for the Grinch because the people of Whoville are especially annoying to him. This is when they are the most joyous the most celebratory, the most gracious, the most loving, and it gets on his everlast nerve. And so the Grinch does what we would expect any monster to do. He lashes out at the people. He comes up with a most hideous scheme, a most hideous plan. He's going to steal Christmas. And so from his cave on top of the mountain, he sneaks into the village of Whoville, When the lights are out and everyone's asleep and he steals Christmas. He steals everything. He steals the presents from the children. He steals the Christmas trees, the Christmas decorations. He takes it all. And he does this because he wants to relish in the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the tears of a good group of people. That's the story of the Grinch, or at least half the story. But it's a story that certainly we can connect with because we see Grinches everywhere. Well, we see Grinches that hit a little too close to home. I see a Grinch sometimes in the mirror early in the morning. I think we all have a little bit of the Grinch in us. We all wrestle with some kind of evil 
in our hearts. We all wrestle with some bitterness and anger, jealousy, pain, some hole in the heart. Every one of us has a sin story. There are parts of our lives we would want to erase, those, those moments in our lives whenever our hearts were two sizes too small. We've recognized that. But make no mistake, there are people, there are groups of people who really have it out for the people of God. There are people who are scheming, people who are devising plans to cause as much pain for Christians as possible. Here are a couple of examples, just two. Some of us right now are following the events going on in China with the underground church. And what's happening in China is that the the government, the communist government, has put religion in their target, in their bullseye, and especially Christians. And so they are reinstituting, this has really intensified over the last year, they have reinstituted the church registry, and they're calling, not calling on, they're demanding that all churches register so that they can monitor, the government can monitor uh, what's being taught, what's being said there in the churches. And if you don't register, there's a price to pay. There are churches whose leaders have been arrested, put in re-education camps. There are churches that have been bulldozed. Even right now as we speak, our brothers and sisters in Christ in China are suffering for the name, and I'm afraid it's only going to get worse. And so our brothers and sisters over there are having to think through, what is our response to this? What is our response when evil is coming from the cave in the mountain? How do we, what's our witness? What are we to do when it's almost a no-win situation? And we pray for them. We pray, we pray for their wisdom and their strength. But that's far away. That doesn't happen in our backyard Well, not to that degree, no, it doesn't. But there are some things that are happening, some things that are moving. Back in August, here in Austin, Texas, a church was meeting in a school. And they arrived at the church building, or they arrived at the school, ready to meet for their Sunday service, and they were greeted with protesters, not thousands of protesters, but protesters who made a lot of noise. And the reason why these protesters were protesting is because of the church's stance on one of the hot topics, the gender issues that we know too well. A statement that the church released was one that was gracious and loving and truthful to what they read in Scripture, not unlike what we released a few years ago, very similar, in fact. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter how loving that was presented. The protesters would have none of it, and so they yelled and screamed and held up signs at the church members. That happened four months ago in our own backyard here. And so we can think through even more, we can bring that to a personal level. And some of us have more experience than others depending on our setting of those situations when our faith is under fire. 
And we have to think through, what is our response? What is our reflex? What is our, what is our natural impulse whenever we are attacked? And I think the bigger question for us this year as we re- think about our theme is how does that relate to mission? How does our response to such attacks relate to mission? When thinking on such things, it's important to remember that these attacks are not something new to Christianity. In fact, the earliest believers, for the earliest believers, this was the norm. The early church knew what that was like. They knew what it was like to be ridiculed. They knew what it was like to be maligned for their faith. They knew what it was like to lose money, to lose business transactions, to lose business partners over their faith. They knew what it was like to lose their homes. Their homes were confiscated. If you read Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Remember when your homes were taken away? They would have known what it was like, the early church, to be oppressed by the government. And in the early days, it was just small pockets here and there throughout the Roman Empire. But there was a point when it was the entire empire that was against Christianity and persecuted the church. And throughout the New Testament, it is clear that suffering for the name is part of the gig when it comes to following Christ. And Jesus does not mince words when he talks about suffering for the name. He says, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross. He talks about persevering to the very end. And of course, Jesus gives us the paradigm for how we are to respond, how we are to react to those who attack us. We remember the stories in his life. He had plenty of confrontations in his life, but I think really it's his death that speaks the most powerful message when we think about retaliation. That passage that Mel read this morning speaks to that when Paul is writing in Philippi from prison by the way, and he's writing to people, he's imploring them, calling them to remove that, that selfish ambition, to be unified, to consider others better than themselves. Where does he take them? He takes them to the Jesus story. He takes them to the cross there in Philippians chapter 2 and reminds them that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he did what? He, he emptied himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross and we think about those moments in and around the cross we think about that confrontation between Jesus and evil there at the cross think about the the false witnesses that the Sanhedrin brought before Jesus in that trial falsely accusing him think about the Roman soldiers mocking him spitting beating flogging nailing him to a tree What was his response? How did he react in the face of evil, in the face of deceit? Well, he met that evil with with love. He absorbed that hate with this radical love and forgiveness. And it goes beyond that. Jesus calls on the church to do the same thing. To be this community that reflects his nature to be a community that's otherworldly a community that doesn't participate in the cycle of the fall the cycle of violence and revenge and anger and rage to be the hands and feet of Jesus this community that's 
that's transformed by the cross and shaped by the cross. To be a community of radical love. To be a people who really embody that phrase, that old phrase that we hear, especially at Christmas time. He, Jesus, became what we are so that we might become what He is. He became what we are so that we might become what He is. Well, what is He? What does that mean on our banner when it says that we, we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus? What does that look like? We get a great picture of that in Romans chapter 12. And this will be our sermon passage this morning. Romans chapter 12 is the great big therefore in Paul's magnum opus, this letter to the Romans. So the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul unpacks what the righteousness of God is all about, the grace of God, who loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for us even while we were sinners. Even while we were His enemies, God absorbed all of that evil onto Himself there at the cross. This new humanity has been created in Christ. Jews and Gentiles are now one family because of the work of Jesus at the cross. That's, that's really Romans chapters 1 through 11. And then we get to chapter 12. And Paul says, Therefore, in view of all of His grace, in view of God's mercy, he says, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's our spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, what does this look like? What does it mean to be transformed in our minds, in our way of thinking? Well, we get a description of this in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. I read an author this week who called these the 12 maxims. And so we have the 12 days of Christmas. Now we have the 12 maxims of Christmas from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. As I read this, I would invite us to think about not only our individual responses, reactions, but also to think about the community, the church here at Brentwood Oaks. Think about this on a communal level. Let's hear the word of God what Paul is telling the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, I've listed the 12 maxims there on the back of your order of worship, but it's the last five or six that I'd really like us to hone in on this morning as we close. This idea to not retaliate, to not take revenge, to not lash out at those who attack us, and to think about this in terms of mission, to think about this in terms of our witness When I think of that earlier phrase in chapter 12, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, I think it is here where the rubber meets the road because it's so hard. And it really takes the grace of God for us to be able to do this, to be able to live this out, because that is not our reflex. That's not my reflex. Whenever someone attacks me, that's not my impulse to absorb And yet, that is what we're called to do. That is our witness. To absorb, as the Lord Jesus did. He said it in the Sermon on the Mount, to love your enemies. If you only love those who love you, what good is that? That's what the pagans do. We're called to a higher love, to love our enemies, to bless them. Bless those who persecute you. And of course, Jesus lived this out. Our reaction as we are attacked is to be something that is otherworldly because He became what we are so that we might become what He is. And it's this kind of community, it's this kind of witness that really allows the gospel to penetrate the hearts of our neighbors, the hearts of the people we interact with, because it's so concrete. To see a response like this from a group of people, it's hard to miss the gospel. So this morning, we have the opportunity to think through those situations where we are attacked on a personal level, a very personal level, or on a communal level, to think of through those situations, because there are plenty of opportunities that happen to us on a daily basis, those, those things that happen to us that wound our pride, those people who attack us that stir up anger, which goes beyond righteous anger and turns into some kind of vengeance, We can name them in our head, those situations, when we get cheated, cheated out of money, when we get lied to, we get cut off on the road, we get mistreated by our employer or by our neighbor, when we are misrepresented as hateful, when we find ourselves on the receiving end of jokes and sneers and laughter, We have the opportunity this morning to think through those situations and to think about our response ahead of time. How are we going to respond to this? What is God calling us to do in our response? What perspective do we have? Are we going to join in with the cycle of the fall? 
that cycle of anger and violence and revenge? Or or will we respond in a different way? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not people of the fall. At our baptisms, we have been raised to walk in newness of life. A new humanity. A new creation. A new way to live. A new way to think by the grace and the power of God. So this week, perhaps as we're flipping channels, we will happen upon how the Grinch stole Christmas. And I don't know what Dr. Seuss had in mind here when he wrote this. I think he stumbled on the gospel, whether intentional or not. I think he stumbled upon it. It's not in plain sight. Even though the Grinch's heart that's two sizes, too small, is transformed at the end. Jesus is not mentioned, at least what I can tell. We don't see the cross. And yet we do. The cross is there. The cross is there in Whoville. The cross is in that community. It's the gospel according to Whoville. Next time you watch it. The Grinch returns to his cave after stealing Christmas. You remember what he does after that? He puts up his listening device that's aimed at Whoville. And he wants to hear the crying. He wants to hear the wailing and the pain. And maybe he's even bracing himself for the anger and the retaliation. And he's doing this with a big smile on his face. He's ruined it for them. But that's not what he hears. He hears something different. He hears singing. He hears joy. People of Whoville have gathered together and they're singing with joy. Not the kind of joy that comes from opening presents, but the kind of joy that we might call otherworldly. It's a joy that completely catches the Grinch off guard. These people are walking out of step. That's not the way they're supposed to respond. It's the witness of that community, though, that penetrates his heart that's two sizes too small and transforms it into a heart that can hardly fit in his body. It's a beautiful story. I think it's a gospel story. So this week, And in the weeks to come, and in the years to come, may God give us, grant us, the grace and the power and the wisdom and especially the strength to respond in ways when we are under fire, in ways that honor His name, that we would look at our specific situations from a perspective that is in eternity Rather than, the, rather than looking at it from the pain that's caused in the temporary. May we respond in a way that honors his name, the name at which one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is the ruler yet. Let us think on such things as we stand and as we sing this song of invitation.